a recent Middle East heat wave, these Israeli fitness fanatics are competing in a marathon cycle contest right outside Jerusalem's ancient Jaffa Gate. They're peddling furiously day and night to win prizes. Well, here at the Jerusalem Channel, we're also peddling as fast as we can, figuratively speaking, to keep up with the ever-expanding demand to watch our video teachings about the Holy Land, Israel and prophecy, and the Hebrew roots of our faith. With our recently added free mobile app, viewers around the world can watch and listen on their mobile phones and tablets. But all this video streaming comes at a price. Whether you're talking about megabytes, gigabytes, or even terabytes to provide high quality video to a global audience. That's why we need your help to meet a challenge of $30,000. With that goal, we plan to expand into several new video streams, specializing in topics that will be a blessing to you. So please help us to run the race with your gift. Just click the donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. Or write to us at Box 2768, Stanton, Virginia, zip code 24402, where American donors can receive a tax-deductible acknowledgement. And in the UK, we can claim gift aid on your donation. Send it to Box 109, Hereford, HR4, 9XR, England. Thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel Outreach. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Truly, a new day has dawned concerning friendly and genuine relationships between Jews and Christians. And it's so important to be a part of this end-time movement of God. When we first went to Israel more than 40 years ago, relationships for the most part between Jews and Christians were cautiously cordial, but nevertheless still strained due to nearly 2,000 years of bitterness, misunderstandings, and persecutions. Christians who can understand, love, and support our elders in the faith, the Jewish people, are today relishing unprecedented dialogue, favor, and camaraderie with them. And I, for one, rejoice. Jewish-Christian alliances are surely an end-time fulfillment of prophecy. There's never been a day quite like this one. I'm Christine Dark. Let's face the facts. Relations between Jews and Christians have at times been brutal and filled with suspicion on both sides. Now, after generations of persecution and anti-Semitism, many sense a real change of attitude. There's a growing Christian support for Israel that has many practicing religious Jews wondering if it's permissible, according to Torah law, to accept this newfound hand of friendship extended by Christians. Recently, Breaking Israel News asked in a report, should these Christian supporters of the modern state of Israel be trusted? Suppose they have an ulterior motive. On the other hand, 
Many in the churches decry a movement that they perceive as the Judaizing of Christianity. The skepticism on both sides has been understandable, depending upon whose viewpoint you wish to take. But now many rabbis are saying that the new friendships and alliances between Jews and Christians are not only permissible, but these initiatives are in fact a imperative in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Torah was not always interpreted this way, but something has happened. And I believe one of the many reasons for newfound friendships between Christians and Jews is external pressure. You see, both Islamic and secular persecutions of Bible-believing Christians and Zionist Jews who are returning to their biblical heritage in the Holy Land, all these pressures are causing us to look up and realize that we worship the same God and we need to help to protect, shelter, and strengthen one another. The number of social media groups that have sprung up to support these friendships and alliances is truly phenomenal. Now the spiritual leader of the community of Harbraha in biblical Samaria is Rabbi Eliezer Melamed, an internationally respected authority on Halakha, that's Torah law. From time to time I've been following his Hebrew newspaper columns translated into English. Rabbi Melamed has become an advocate of Jewish Christian friendships, despite harsh criticisms among his co-religionists. But I should carefully point out that whenever there's a move of God, there are always pioneers leading the way. And there are also neutral parties who are willing to watch events play out. For example, in the New Testament, Rabbi Gamaliel is quoted in the New Testament in Acts 5.39. He said, if a movement is from God, you won't be able to stop it, and you may even discover that you're fighting against God if you try to stop it. Rabbi Malamed has been associating with Christian volunteers who work in the vineyards of Harbraha, meaning Mount of Blessing. Harbraha is an Israeli settlement located at the biblical Mount Gerizim in what the world calls the West Bank and what the Bible refers to as Samaria. Harbracha is named after Mount Gerizim, which is one of two mountains mentioned in the Torah in the book of Deuteronomy, on which half of the twelve tribes of Israel ascended in order to pronounce blessings. The other six tribes ascended Mount Ebal to pronounce the curses that would happen because of Israel's disobedience. The Christians who are living and working in the Mount of Blessings believe that they're helping to fulfill a biblical prophecy about replanting ancient vineyards as foretold in Jeremiah chapter 31. The Christian nonprofit organization brings volunteers who are firm Bible believers from all over the world to serve the Jewish farmers of Israel. To these Christians, this is a holy mandate from the God of Israel and the Bible. The community's Rabbi Melamed is a forward thinker, despite some objections voiced by his fellow Jews in the social media and Jewish forums and other Jewish sites on the internet. The question of whether it's permissible to connect with these Christians has been a complicated issue in Torah law. 
But in 2011, Rabbi Malamed made an official ruling on the subject that was published, and he was careful to note the difficult history and the theological obstacles that stand in the way of Jews and Christians connecting together. The rabbi asked key questions such as, how should we relate to Christians who suddenly have become our friends? He said, for nearly 2,000 years, they persecuted the Jewish nation, murdered, plundered, expelled, coerced us to convert to Christianity, and suddenly they love us? Can we believe them? And what do we do with the words of the Ramban, the revered Rabbi Machmanides? The Ramban wrote that Christianity has the status of idol worship. So after carefully considering all of these difficult questions, Rabbi Melamed came to the conclusion that for him, the deciding factor for our day and not based upon past behavior, the deciding fact has been the more recent Christians' positive attitude towards Israel. In fact, Rabbi Melamed described the love of Christian Zionists for Israel as the litmus test in this world for morality, truth, and faith. Why would Christian love for Israel be a litmus test for morality, truth, and faith? It would seem that such a love would reveal a true knowledge of the whole counsel of God and especially the Word of God itself concerning end-time events. Whereas in the past, Christians traditionally targeted Jews for conversion while replacing the Jewish people in Israel with the church, Rabbi Melamed pointed out that there are many sincere Christians who are striving to make what he called great corrections in their behavior, and therefore, to his mind, they should be considered as righteous Gentiles, and he believes God himself will reward them. Now, I want to say here very carefully, lest accusers and detractors say that evangelicals have denied and betrayed their Savior Jesus, this new attitude of Jewish acceptance towards Bible-believing Christians doesn't deny that evangelical Christians who support the Jewish state also believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. These evangelicals don't deny the messiahship of Jesus, nor do they deny the Jewish people's need of Jesus like everyone else in the world. But rather, these evangelical Christians are not proselytizers. In other words, they're attempting to correct the stereotypes of past proselytizers who either tried to force Jewish conversions or who even horribly physically persecuted and killed the Jews in inquisitions for not converting in mass to Christianity. Learned men such as Rabbi Melamed are not naive. They do realize that these evangelicals are genuine followers of Jesus. But in this new movement, the rabbi believes that these evangelicals who support God's fulfillment of prophecies in the Holy Land are working primarily to strengthen Israel after nearly 2,000 years of pogroms, and persecutions. So in the mind of the rabbi, all the severe things mentioned about Christians in the past don't apply to these Christian workers who are behaving, he believes, as servants to the Jewish people. And I might venture to add, in some real and practical measure, 
the Christians in the vineyards of Israel are indeed fulfilling the gospel of Jesus by ministering kindly to his brethren. Because you see, as Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, 40, when he returns, the king will say, truly I tell you, inasmuch as you have done unto the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Wow, that also requires a Selah moment in my estimation. So can we see the bigger picture in all of this? Or must we always be critical and suspicious of everybody's motives? Well, Rabbi Malamed has been very brave to take head on the criticisms from within the Jewish community that have targeted himself and various other rabbis who've been involved as pioneers in cultivating the new positive relationship with evangelical Christians. Much of the criticism has targeted Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, the founding chief rabbi of Ephrat, who was also the founder of the Center for Jewish-Christian Understanding and Cooperation. After looking into the matter of the various statements against Rabbi Riskin, Rabbi Melamed concluded that Jewish criticism against him constituted slander. Slander, or the evil tongue in Hebrew, is considered to be a very grievous sin in Judaism, and I wish to God that slander was taken as seriously within many of the Christian communities. Rabbi Riskin's protege, David Nekrutman, is part of the new generation of Israelis who are continuing to cultivate this new and sensitive relationship between Jews and Christians. And my husband and I have enjoyed his Bible study for Christians that takes place weekly at the Bible Museum in Jerusalem. The Bible studies are delightful because Nekrutman and his associates don't preach down to the Christian participants, but they're very interactive and willing for Christian ideas to be expressed without any fear on anybody's part. David Nekrutman, in fact, told Israel Breaking News that such Bible studies and dialogue are, in fact, a Jewish imperative. And he cited Isaiah 49, verse 6, as a mandate. And that verse says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the offspring of Israel. I will give you for a light of the nations, that my salvation may be extended into the end of the earth. David Nekrutman says that this is who we are as the Jewish people. We can't be a light to the nations without building a partnership with the nations. And so we have this mandate to work with others. And if they're willing, we have an obligation to do so. As a non-Messianic Jew, as an Orthodox Jew, David Nekrutman has been a postgraduate student at Oral Roberts University. And these types of intellectual crossbreeding are becoming much less uncommon. Amazingly, due to the initiative of men such as Rabbi Riskin and David Nekrutman, many rabbis are now saying and admitting that Christianity, in fact, has had a special role to play in the prophetic process of taking the light of the Hebrew Scriptures to the nations. In fact, a statement signed by many rabbis went so far as to commend Christianity 
for being a light to the nations and commending even Jesus himself for having majestically upheld the Torah. In his ruling concerning Jewish-Christian friendships, Rabbi Melamed cited Israel's first chief rabbi, Abraham Isaac Cook, whose philosophy is still a major influence on Jewish theology today. Rabbi Cook wrote that the main problem with Christianity and Islam was their cancellation of the Jewish nation's hope in relation to its complete revival. And to that statement, I can say a hearty amen. You see, tragically, one of the institutional church's greatest mistakes has been to indulge in the era of replacement theology by stealing all of Israel's covenants and promises without ever offering any hope, faith, or belief that God would faithfully keep his covenant with the Jewish people in the end. So to deny Israel's future restoration has been a blind spot that has caused untold suffering, misunderstanding, and warfare. Rabbi Melamed suggested that a connection with pro-Israel Christians even borders on brotherhood. He wrote, Those Christians are closer to us than the secular liberal leftists in Western countries, both in their faith in the Bible and their ethics. What a statement. God bless him. Well, you might say to me, Christine, this is all man's opinions, but what does the Word of God say on these matters? So now I believe it's important that I read to you the prophecy that the Christian volunteers who are serving in vineyards on Israeli farms and kibbutzim believe that they are living in and helping to fulfill as a special calling. So let's look at Jeremiah 31. It begins, At that time, declares the Lord, at what time? The tone and worldwide scope of this chapter indicates that it concerns the end time. This is a last day's prophecy. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. Verse 2, this is what the Lord says, the people who survive the sword. Who are the people who survive the sword? It's the Jewish people. And Jesus himself prophesied the nearly two millennia long diaspora of the Jewish people. In his briefing on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, that his people would fall by the sword and would be taken away as prisoners to all nations. And only then, he said, would Jerusalem finally, after being under Gentile control, end up back in the hands of the Jewish people. So now let's go back to verse 2. It says, The people who survived the sword, the Jewish people, will find favor in the wilderness. So there will be a turning point in the fortunes of the Jewish people after nearly 2,000 years of wandering. They will find favor again. And God declares, I will come to give rest to Israel. So God is saying that the survivors of the Jewish people will again be favored by God in the wilderness to which they will return and make the wilderness fruitful again. Verse 3, the prophet Jeremiah remembers God's covenant relationship with his Jewish people, and he recalls, 
The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. And you will take up your timbrels, and you will go out to dance with the joyful. And here is verse 5. And in verse 5 and 6, the evangelical Christian workers in the vineyard believe that they are fulfilling these verses. God says, again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. And remember, Samaria is the biblical heartland and belongs to the land of Israel. Yet the Arabs and the nations are still trying to wrestle this land away from the Jews. It says the farmers will plant them and will enjoy their fruit. And I'm an eyewitness of these things because I've enjoyed this fruit so many times in my life. Verse 6, there will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Now, it's fascinating to me that the word watchman in this verse 6 is not shomrim, which is the Hebrew word used in Isaiah's reference to watchmen on the walls. But the word for watchman here in Jeremiah 31.6 is notzrim. And notzrim happens to be the word in modern Hebrew for Christians. The root of notzrim is natsar, meaning to watch, to guard, and to keep. So these uh, watchers, these Christians living in biblical Samaria see themselves as keepers of the Jewish people, guardians. Verse seven continues, this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. That's happening today. And then in verse eight, we see God's determination to bring back the Jewish people from the land of the north and gather them even from the ends of the earth. And it says, among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great thong will return. And that's exactly what happened after World War II and the Holocaust. The blind, the lame, the weak. Women in labor all came back with weeping. Verse 10. And this is a prophecy that I love to preach, especially whenever I'm in an island nation, nation such as the UK. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the islands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd watches over his flock. Verse 11, For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. In verse 12, they will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, in the new grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. Just this week, we got this little bottle of olive oil from one of the Jewish communities, a fulfillment of prophecy, because it says they will be like a well-watered garden. They will sorrow no more. God continues in this prophecy in Jeremiah 31, I will turn their mourning into gladness. And in verse, four, 
in verse 15 is also the famous prophecy about Rachel, the matriarch of Israel. This is what the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. But here in this chapter, the Lord commands Rachel to stop weeping because he says there's hope for her descendants. Your children will return to their own land. And verse 21 says, therefore set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, return virgin Israel, return to your towns. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Verse 24, people will live in Judah and all its towns, farmers and those who move around with their flocks. Verse 27, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with offspring of people and of animals. And verse 28, just as I watched over them to uproot and overthrow them and tear them down and bring disaster upon them, so, God says, I will watch over them again to build them up and to plant them. And here comes such an important verse Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the house of Judah. And this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. Declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And verse 34 declares, no longer will they teach their neighbor or anyone else to say, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them, he says, to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And verse 35 declares what Bible teacher Derek Prince of Lesson Memory called the planetary covenant. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. So the prophet Jeremiah made his predictions concerning the restoration of Israel to cheer up the hearts of the Jewish exiles and to vindicate the faithfulness of God to the Jewish nation. In a limited sense, these prophecies were fulfilled by the restoration of the Jewish people back to the land of Israel after their Babylonian captivity. But the events of that period can hardly be said to have completely filled up the meaning of the emphatic end-time language of these prophecies in this chapter. So we need to look further into the end times for the complete fulfillment of all of these glorious predictions. In fact, the restoration of Israel is happening on a daily basis right in front of our eyes. The ingathering home to their own land again is happening from all the nations. It should be impossible to miss what God is so clearly bringing to pass. And the terrible anti-Semitism that's happening even in the West is shaking the Jewish people out of the nations and warning them that it's time to come home. 
The Apostle Peter himself prophesied of these times that we're living in. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, he said, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time of the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. So this move of God is not something the church should fight. The restoration of the people of Israel spells blessings for the entire world because it is God's end-time plan. How close are we to it now? Very close. And that's why you and I are watchmen upon the walls of Jerusalem. And we watchers can stay in touch through social media and through our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our electronic newsletter called Exploits. And at our website, all our previous videos are available for viewing around the clock as well as we have an archive of spiritual articles on end time topics. And you can also download our free Jerusalem channel app from your favorite app store so you can watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. Our app also offers daily Bible readings and details of our upcoming events. And we post prayer points at our website to help you be an effective watchman on the walls. And so keep doing exploits. As Daniel 11.32 says, the people who know God will be strong and carry out exploits. Meanwhile, I'm contending for the faith always and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha and Shalom.